Wine Work and Passion is brought to you by the Napa Valley Wine Academy, America's premier wine school and two-time winner of the WSET Global Wine Educator of the Year Award. You can find a course that's right for you at NapaValleyWineAcademy.com and use the code in our show notes for a special discount. Welcome, wine enthusiasts and job seekers. I'm your host, Karen Wetzel, and Wine Work and Passion is the podcast where we inspire you to make a career out of your passion for wine. My guest today is my good friend and former colleague, Dale Stratton. Dale has spent the better part of 40 years embedded in the wine industry and is a treasure trove of knowledge. He's currently serving as the president of the Wine Market Council, the managing director for Azure Associates, and as an analyst for SipSource. He's a little like me, he just can't stay away from this crazy business. I know you'll enjoy his journey and it'll be you'll find it very inspiring and hopefully that'll motivate you to dive in with both feet. As always, be sure to stay tuned until the end when Dale and I will offer up some great advice on how you can join the wine industry and grow your career. Hi, Dale. Welcome to the show. Hello, Karen. Great to see you and hear from you. Yes, great to be seen and heard from. So I appreciate very much you jumping on the call. So or on the podcast, I guess is not what's called kind of. Anyway, uh, happy to have you. I'm excited to share all your great insights uh, with our audience. So just to get us started, can you just briefly tell us who you are and what you do in the wine industry? Absolutely. My uh, name is Dale Stratton, and uh, I am a uh, about a 40-year veteran, worked 22 years for the Ernest and Julio Gallo wineries, um, 13 years for Constellation, uh, have been retired for a little over three years now, and have three engagements in the wine industry. I um, uh, work with the Wine Market Council. We do. It's an industry group that does research on the wine and really the beverage alcohol consumer. Uh, I work with um, the WSWA on their SIP source tool, uh, which is an aggregation of distributor depletion data. And I work with a group of consultants at a company called Azure Associates. And we do um, consulting work that we'll probably talk about a little more in detail as we go on. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you. And of course, I always like to let the audience know how we know each other, but you let the cat out of the bag, which is perfectly fine. So um, if you listen to this podcast, the word constellation comes up a lot only because a lot of my guests are what we call ex-cons. <laughs> that, uh, that is Dale and I. In fact, we both spent the same 13 years with the company. And so that was how uh, we I got to know uh, Dale, and you know not just got to to know you, Dale, but I used your team, your market research team, extensively writing presentations for helping our sales teams better sell you know products to both retail and to restaurant accounts using um, the kind of data that your teams. Um, have been able to, were able to, to give us. And it makes, you know, a lot of people think, oh, when you're selling on data, you're selling to retail, but that's not really true. There's a lot of more nuanced data that your team was able to put together um, regarding restaurant sales, where it's very eye-opening to restaurants. I mean, yes, they like the little esoteric stuff and they like to have their personality shine through, but they're, 
you know, their wine list is also a profit center for them. And so you can show them they can do both. They can, you know, they can have their unique wines and, you know, and, and get those, you know, scores by the wine spectator. But, you know, they can also have some money, money or profit drivers on the menu, too. And having that kind of data so it's not, you know, you can sort of put the, put it in writing and help them really see uh, it's very helpful. So I used you a lot. I still wish I had you, actually, <laughs> the little bit I'm doing. Uh, it's very helpful information. So um, you mentioned that you you started with, you we worked for a long time with Gallo and Constellation, but tell us, take us back to the beginning. Because I, one of the things our audience in the show likes to hear is someone's wine journey. And I think it's so helpful to the audience because so many people, myself included, didn't really start off thinking they were going to be in wine. And ultimately we got here. So why don't you tell us, like, how did it all get started? Take us back to the beginning. Absolutely. Uh, and, and you're right. Um, the uh, manner in which people tend to find the wine category or the wine category finds them is always interesting. And uh, for me, uh, I when I was going to college at Colorado State University in beautiful Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, I marched into a uh, liquor store and uh, asked for a job, uh, <laughs> and worked at a uh, worked at a uh, Campus West Liquor, which uh, is still in existence. Great store, and uh, at that point in time, I now became exposed to. Uh, um, the beverage alcohol category in total. And I had had an interest in wine. I had enjoyed, you know, um, experimenting a little bit with wine, but was really able to amplify it then. <clears throat> and just getting to know the people who were um, salespeople that were coming into the store, um, customers coming into the store, asking questions. And um, so that gave me uh, exposure to, to the wine category. And then upon graduation, uh, I was fortunate enough to go to work for a Gallo-owned um, distributor in Denver, Colorado, Mountain Wine Distributing. And so got the best-in-class training uh, for, uh, for sales. And as time went on, I uh, always had an interest in fact-based and using information and uh, got exposed to category management uh, along the way. And that's where I started getting into insights and really started to learn about um, how to use information in the best way possible to make better decisions and to help um, help our customers make better decisions about what what products to carry, what products to um, promote, how should they be promoted, where should they be promoted. And then to your point also, and you talked about wine lists and people wanting to have um, uh, esoteric products, but also needing mainstream. Uh, you know, when you're when you're in a restaurant, you're getting every kind of consumer out there coming into your establishment. Uh, and there are so many people who will look at a wine list. Um, and uh, and it happens to me, right? Uh, after 40 years in the business, I walk in, look at a wine list and say to myself, never heard of one of those, never seen one of those in my life. Couldn't tell right. you what those are. Yeah, so it's kind uh, of a crapshoot when you order it. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, now, and, and for me, I like that. That's great. Yeah, but for too. others, that's alienating, right? That's going to push them away from the wine category. And, and they're going to order, um, they're going to order a cocktail, they're going to order beer, or they're going to have iced tea. Yeah. Uh, and so that to me was where I really started learning how to use that information to um, expand um, 
consumption and really, you know, get that kind of responsible use of the wine category and expand category exposure. So, okay. yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always a little suspicious when I see a wine list that's all well-known brands. That's a big turnoff. I think it's a turnoff to a lot of people. Yep. Um, but but then I'm I'm not comfortable with not having anything that anyone could recognize. In fact, I went to a restaurant not too long ago and they didn't have any Sauvignon Blanc on there. And it was a very extensive wine list. And I'm like, I really, would, I don't even care about the brand. I just want to say it's one of my favorite wines. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, no, we don't want to carry something that mainstream. I'm like, oh my, like consumers are, you know, can be, it, it can be bristling sometimes. So that's right. Yeah. Something for everybody is always a, a good bet. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah, and then um, and I and I do think you know when you talk about um, people learning and 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 you know for me there's also getting that appropriate uh, level of education and you know for me um, I I was able to become a certified specialist of wine uh, took took that mm. took that did that. But for me, in my role and what I did, that was enough, right? I didn't, I didn't feel the need to, because my orientation and my specialty isn't product oriented. It's, uh, you know, realistically, I'm not, I don't sell wine. I'm all about selling things that sell wine. Uh, right. and, and so for that, I needed some exposure. So I found that level of education on the product side was very, very helpful. I enjoyed it, but, but really didn't see a good path forward for me to dig in further on the product education side. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because it, it, you know, it, it reinforces the idea that not every job in the wine industry, you don't, you don't have to have your WSET diploma to function or, th or level three or even level two in some cases to be able to have a really great career as you have. I mean, you've been the vice president of many companies that I know of. And, you know, you've, you've made a great career with probably good financial benefits and you didn't have to become, you know, a sommelier or a master of wine or even a WSET certified person. So um, I think that's a good point. Not everybody, some people want to be associated with what in the wine industry, but they don't necessarily want to take all those credentials. So there are plenty of avenues um, you know, yours being one of them where they don't necessarily have to become a, a true wine expert, but your, your expertise in your industry is connect in your world is connected to the wine industry. And I think that's, that's really important, uh, for, for everyone to know. And you and I can, you know, it's funny because we were at Constellation the same amount of years. And I also worked for a Gallo distributor when I got started in the wine world and uh, worked at a distributor and, you know, I didn't go the way of numbers. I kind of went through, man, you know, sales management, that type of thing, and ended up in education. But we have followed a fairly similar path and Absolutely. mostly at the same time. <laughs> That's right. And we both left Constellation at the same time and semi-retired. So there you go. So a couple of things I wanted to ask you before we move on, guys, I want to dig a little deeper into the roles you're currently doing. Um, you mentioned a word called category management. Can you tell the audience what that means? Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't want to go too deep on this because I could talk for two hours just on this subject. Mm -hmm. um, but but many many years ago, uh, literally in the in the nineties, the grocery industry by and large got together. Like those in the gro the grocers, suppliers, all got together and realized that they needed to become more consumer focused. 
and uh, and also um, work more collaboratively. Uh, and 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 that included on the um, supply chain side, in store, but it really was all about understanding the consumer, uh, and 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 doing things in the store that better satisfied the needs of the consumer. And there was a very rigorous process that was put together by um, some by by a group of people from the industry, along with. Uh, Dr. Brian Harris, I think, uh, who was in the educational world and academics, and they built a structure around a process in how you um, how you manage a category, and each individual category within that within the um, the grocery uh, industry, and grocery being kind of a generic term for retail, I guess. Right. Uh, but manage each of those individually, and each of them had a, had a specific role that they were going to bring to to the store a certain appeal point that they were going to bring. And then within that role, you're going to have certain strategies that you're going to um, build up. And there was an, uh, an annual process that was very analytic that made you, uh, that, that helped people make decisions to drive those individual categories and the sum of the whole then of course would be better. Uh, and it uh, increased profitability for um, the retail side of things, as you know, uh, retail, uh, the net margin for retail is so, so very, very thin uh, after all of the costs get managed and taken care of. So you really have to be very, very careful about what you do. And this gave a very good structure and a process to manage those processes. So, so in, in, is it fair to say that when we say category management, you're talking about the category of wine within the retail world, right? Correct. And then there's subcategories that kind of fall under there and you kind of you, then you start dividing it out by price points, by by sales and, and all of that. So it kind of, then you start to get into the nitty gritty. And, you know, a lot of people listening are thinking, oh, they're just talking about, you know, cheap grocery store brands. And that's really not not the case at all. Um, it sounds it's an easy, you know, it's an easy out, but that's really not the case. There's, you know, more and more retailers that are, you know, looking to diversify their selections and they're looking for that balance of more esoteric, more discovery brands, maybe more, you know, if you go up to Washington State, you see a lot more Washington State wines, obviously here in Napa, you see quite a few more Napa wines. Um, but, you know, this is not exclusive to what people think of as grocery store, you know, quote unquote, grocery store wines. Um, and even the suppliers are looking beyond that. And yeah, I mean, that's what pays the rent, but there is a growing category, you know, up luxury priced goods that are, you know, you don't see on everybody's shelf. That's a, those are growing categories. In fact, what we used to think of as typical grocery store wines are, if I'm not mistaken, are, are not growing. That's not the growing category. It's the ones that are a little, you know, people are, I would say people aren't, they're not drinking. Uh, they're drinking. They're not drinking more, but they're drinking better. So they're spending more. <laughs> that that's absolutely correct. Yeah, and I do think the principles, uh, the principles of category management and the structure of it, like so many things that I've done, right? They just it, it provides you no know, no matter if you're a um, a big uh, a, a big retailer or a small retailer, having a structure on how you manage your business is going to help you be successful. Right. Uh, and using those principles and having a repeatable process in my, in my view is a, is a, is a better way to approach your business. Uh, and this gives you that structure on how, on how to do that. Uh, 
uh, and making sure you're covering um, all the aspects that you really should cover to make sure you're maximizing the value of your business. Right. And, and category management, we talk about that is really, really a retail thing. But you can do, you do the same things within the world of restaurants. And, you know, think about if every single restaurant had to go out and find a way to collect, collect and digest all this data and all this information, you know, where larger suppliers provide it. And, and it's not skewed necessarily to that supplier. I mean, the, the information is the information and it can be very, very useful across the board. So I didn't want to get too far in the weeds with that, but a couple of good points I went in there you, you brought up, which was great. So we know what you've done. Let's talk, Lynn, you mentioned a little bit of what you're doing now, but let's kind of dissect that more. So, I mean, the Wine Market Council is something that, you know, I always used to have access to. Um, and boy, it's, it was a great tool when you're in wine sales to have a big company like that that really knows how to crunch numbers. So, And, and so you are the president I am. Yes. And so tell us all about the company and what your role is. Yeah. And so um, Wine Market Council is a nonprofit and it's been around since the late 1990s. Um, and it really is all about focusing on um, uh, consumer research and understanding the consumer. We've done a, uh, a benchmark segmentation study of the consumer at least every other year. Uh, for over 20 years now. So we have a very good uh, kind of longitudinal look at who the wine consumer is. And as I said earlier, if, you, if you're studying the wine consumer in today's world, you're studying the beverage alcohol consumer. Uh, because today's consumer participates across all three maybe four, and who knows, it's probably going to end up being five different, right. <laughs> uh, different categories of, of the beverage alcohol industry and understanding um, how that has gone. And, and um, our members are diverse from all across. We have suppliers, distributors, um, growers, uh, um, other uh, um, associations within the wine industry. And, you know, we, we do our segmentation is really looking at frequency of participation in the category. And, you know, the uh, you know, we're 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 down to where, you know, the core wine consumer, it's about about 20 percent of um, the, the population. Actually, it's about 14 percent, I think, or trying to remember where it was, 18 percent of adults drink wine once a week or more often. Net of it is that's about 44 million people. That that That's who drives the wine category. And that's who's going to make the difference in the wine category. When you think about a, a country with um, uh, the population that the United States has and think about 44 million people are going to determine what happens to the wine category is pretty interesting. So, so you mentioned, you know, it's, it's retailers, it's distributors. So it's, it's kind of looking at what's going on now, what, ha what happened in the past, what's going on now. Um, but you mentioned growers and that got me thinking because I know a lot of what you do is just, it's also very forward looking, very, you know, kind of crystal ball, looking at the crystal ball, wh what direction do we think? Of course, we're not, you know, maybe it's not hundred percent accurate, but you know, where do we see the industry going? And you mentioned growers, and I have to think, I would not thought of that before, but I have to think that that would be really important to help a wine grower, a vineyard owner, kind of decide what, you know, what he's going to plant in the future or what he has to kind of keep his eye on or their eye on, not he, um, 
for to be able to continue to uh, be profitable as time marches on because you know right now Cabernet is king, but we're even seeing here in Napa a lot of vineyards are being moved to other varieties like Cabernet Franc, for instance, all of a sudden is probably on your radar screen and uh, it's on the radar screen of growers here too. So, so tell us a little bit more about who, you know, about how people use your information to make decisions. Yeah. And, and I think, I think you've hit it there, right. And you're looking at long-term and certainly if I'm a grower, uh, if um, it, it's, I'm, I'm not going to replant very often. <laughs> Therefore, right, right. when I make those decisions, yeah, I want to become, I want to, I want to have a little more information and understand what the history has been and what does that look like and where do we think, where do we think it's going? Um, and that's the standard, but we also do custom research and we look at, um, um, in addition to the segmentation study, we do three or four other uh, studies a year. Um, right now, uh, uh, one of the things that is facing the industry is all about um, ingredient and nutritional information on the labels. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to take a step outside of that, but look at it through the consumer's view. What does the consumer want to see there? Is nutrition information important for wine on the consumer? If it is, what are those elements that they're going to say are important to have in that nutrition? Is it ingredients? Uh, and and um, trying to get all that on a label is hard. So can we do that via a um, uh, 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 an off-label solution where you can take the picture of the of the code and go out and yeah, look at QR it online? Codes. Uh, yeah. And so uh, we just finished one also that was looking at right now. Uh, we continue to see that the wine consumer tends to be um, non-Hispanic Caucasian. Uh, the, we're, we're demographically, as, an, as a category, we're not really keeping up with the changes in the demographics of the country. So what do we need to do? And we were able to kind of quantify that and understand what that really means and what is important to the um, black consumer? What's important to the Hispanic consumer? And what do we need to do as an industry to, to broaden the appeal of our brands to a broader audience? So those are the kind of yeah. research projects that we do. Yeah, I think the wine industry has been up until recently been very guilty of really, you know, just blinders on promoting to the biggest block of consumers, which was just white consumers. And now I think they're realizing that there's a whole several other groups of consumers that drive business and that want to participate in the wine industry. And, you know, so you're, so in other words, your, your data, your research isn't just about what variety is going to be hot in five years. I mean, that's part of it. I'm sure what, you know, what do you see coming down the pike as far as like you said, Cabernet Franc or something like that, but also like you mentioned, labeling, how important is organic or sustainable to a consumer, what do what do we need? You know, how do we keep up with the changing environment in in many aspects? Um, you know, even packaging, I would assume, is part of your research. It is, yeah, and and all of those things play a role. And and as we um, and I would encourage everybody, of course, go to winemarketcouncil.com and you can join and have access to this research. Yeah, and where we get our research ideas are really from our members. What what are the hot topics that they're facing? Mm-hmm that right. they need answers to, we can go out and do that custom research for them. Yeah. So what do they need to know to help them make better business decisions? Exactly. So, yeah, I hope the audience can really understand that, 
you know, if you're in the wine industry, knowledge is power. It's, it's empowering and it helps you make good decisions for the long term. And, you know, before this kind of information was readily available, you know, you're just thinking, well, what, what do I think is going to happen? Now you've got a little more support. You don't have to look into, you don't have to shake up that eight ball. Yeah. Having yes. a little bit of information, right? The more information you can get, and you're never going to get an answer that gives, gives you 100% certainty on what to do. Right. But, but the further I can get down that to, to having some information that I can apply to my logic, that that's helpful. Then I think I make better decisions. Yeah. And, you know, a good example of that, and everybody knows the movie Sideways, you know, nobody saw that coming. And so the whole, you know, Merlot was on fire. Everybody was planting and growing it. It was, you know, the number one selling variety. And then this silly little movie comes along and starts talking about Pinot Noir and hates the guy hates Merlot, although he did his last bottle of wine in the movie was a Merlot um, because his girlfriend dumped him or something. Anyway, it, it literally changed our world. And it's not like we can, you know, pull up our Merlot and plant Pinot Noir and have it ready to go in six months. I mean, it takes several years before you're going to get fruit. So the industry, you know, we're, we're a farming industry and it, we cannot pivot that quickly. So, you know, and, and obviously those types of things you can't necessarily predict. Nobody knew it was coming, but where we can predict, it does make life a lot easier in preparing, whether you're retailer, grower, winery, whatever your, your business is. Yeah. And even going back to your previous um, example, uh, Sauvignon Blanc is performing much better than most varietals. Uh, and uh, I, I would have a Sauvignon Blanc on my list. That's all I'm saying if I ran yeah. an odd oh, for sure. <laughs> well, it's funny because here in Napa, it's, uh, in wine lists, and it's actually starting to catch up with the equal amount of, of lines or offerings of Sauvignon Blanc as, as it is Chardonnay. I mean, Absolutely. Chardonnay has been the number one white for so long, but I think SB's given it a run for I'm doing my part anyway. There you go. <laughs> Nothing against Chardonnay, but I love yeah. my, I'm a, I'm an acid freak. I love high acid wine. So, oh, funny. Okay. So that, so that's the wine market council. Now, tell us about SIP Source. And you mentioned the uh, WSWA. Can you first tell us who that is? Yep. So that's the Wine and Spirits Wholesalers Association. Uh, and um, they uh, work with wholesalers. Um, they're a lobbying organization out of Washington, D.C. When you say wholesalers, you're, you're really talking about distributors. Correct. Yep. I, I think the audience is more familiar with that term. So, okay, yep. good. And the uh, and about five years ago, uh, they started working on a project to um, aggregate the data. And and as you know, having sold in the on premise, the big black hole for data has always been the on premise. Um, right, the, re the restaurant right? side of things for restaurants, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, well, because because what what they were doing, this is depletion data. So this is capturing the transaction between the distributor and the either retailer or restaurateur, uh, mm -hmm. capturing that transaction. Uh, with SipSource, we're able to look at the on and off premise and even go deeper and, and look at uh, um, grocery versus liquor versus club versus drug. Uh, in the on premise, you can look at break it out and look at restaurant versus nightclub versus recreation uh, yeah, um, and 
um, hotel lodging, which is an interesting study. So uh, uh, as we as they put that together, uh, and there's now 13 uh, distributors that all contribute their data to this, we're able to understand the really the full spectrum via SIP source of what are the trends of uh, products in the marketplace to include on-premise. And of course, with with what we saw happen coming uh, out of the pandemic, there there were big big changes, right? There were huge yes. huge movements in what happened there, uh, and we're we're still not quite back, especially for the wine category. We're still not back um, to pre-COVID levels for the on-premise. Yeah, um, and, and I want to just stop real quick. Um, so on-premise and off-premise—it's a term we use very often in the wine industry. For those of you who really don't know what those terms are, it's super easy. If it's off-premise, that means that's a retailer because the consumer is going to buy the product and take it somewhere else to drink it. On-premise is where it's consumed on the premises. So restaurants, hotels, uh, theaters, ballparks, where where they're not taking it away. So anyway, I just wanted to clear that up. Most people know it, but not everybody does. And it's important if you're going to apply for a job that you know what those two things are. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a good starting point. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I um, I work with them and I analyze the data. Uh, we put out a we put out a little monthly overview on what's happening um, in the marketplace. We do a quarterly report that's very extensive that includes a bunch of other data sources. Um, and this is just a great way to really, you know, for me, this is determining the true market growth rate. And, you know, you go back uh, uh, right after the pandemic hit and we had shelter in place and went through um, all of that. Well, you had you had these people reporting using um, Nielsen or IRI data that the wine category was growing 200 percent. Well, it wasn't right. It, you know, it was just that everything had moved to the retail side. Um, so the offset of that was, was really a very, very different story with no on-premise sales going in. So, uh, this is a great tool, gives you really good market growth rates. You can cut the data by price tier, varietal import, country of origin, uh, independent, independent account versus chain accounts, uh, different geographies. So it's really, uh, just a great data source. And I think the best representation of what's happening in the three-tier system. Right. Yeah. And it's just such important information. Again, it helps you, it really helps you just sort of really plan your business so it can be profitable. And who doesn't need more profitability right now, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We're all looking for that. You know, um, we always, you know, um, everybody sits down with their wholesaler and has a conversation about, I want to do, I want, I I think I, my brand should do better than the market. Right. Well, the hard thing is, what's the market, and uh, and what does that mean compared to your portfolio as a supplier? Right. To your point, if 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 I don't sell any wines under fifteen dollars, well, that's a very different growth rate today than right. if I'm a supplier who does sell things under fifteen dollars. Right. So uh, it's important to do that, and that's how you can really have a, a better. Um, I think a better targeted and a better um, educated conversation with your distributor on, on, on how to build your business. Yep. 
Yep, totally agree. So now, last but not least, how about Azure Associates? Azure Associates. Azure Associates, and you use the term ex-con, and it is a bunch of, uh, most of us are ex-cons, uh, <laughs> uh, a bunch of people who uh, at one point in time worked for Constellation in one uh, one vehicle or another. A uh, gentleman named Pat DeLong, who was the uh, previously the um, CEO of Crimson Wine Company, uh, started Azure Associates, and he recruited a number of us to um, uh, to work with him. And we do consulting work. We do really our our focuses on um, uh, strategy, um, financial planning, uh, and route to market consulting. And we do some merger and acquisition work, both buy and sell side. So, who are your clients? Uh, our clients are, we, um, we, we work for a number of wineries, so we do consulting work for wineries uh, if they're looking to set a five-year plan. We will come in, help them do a five-year plan. Uh, if they're looking to reevaluate their current route to market, am I using the, dis- the, the, the distributor that's best for me? How should I balance my direct-to-consumer versus my three-tier? We will help them. Um, should I have a sales agency or should I build a my own sales staff out there? Uh, we help them with that. We also do work for uh, people who are looking to invest in the wine co- uh, in the wine industry who just don't have any knowledge. Right, they're in the financial world. Uh, they're trying to figure out where they should invest their money. The, the wine category has become more and more appealing to a lot of those folks. We will help them understand the wine category so that they so that they can better target um, where where their money goes. Oh, okay. Well, that's exciting. That's very it's exciting. Fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's right. So, so you you are a consultant for not just for Azure, but you know, in your own right. And I'm a consultant in, in some cases as well. And you know, just want to that word. I think everybody I know that ever came close to retiring said, "I'll just be a consultant." Um, not as easy as people think. I've had some people think, oh, I'll have no problem finding clients and it doesn't always work out that way. Other people, it happens quite naturally. But, you know, can you can you talk a little bit about, you know, what it means to be a consultant? Yeah. You know, and, and for me as a consultant, you're a problem solver. Right? You're 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 out um, just working to help somebody um, solve a problem that faces them. And um, you, you can be called on, um, one can be um, for, for your industry expertise, right? As I said, right. some of these are, are, we're working with people who don't understand the wine category. We can bring them the knowledge that is, here's how the wine category works. Here's how the three-tier system works. Right. Uh, and, and give them that and, and give them an understanding of that. Uh, sometimes it might be that, look, they fully understand what's going on in the business, they just need helping hands, right? That that I don't I don't know a winery owner um, who has a lot of spare time, uh, <laughs> and to, to go take on a project to go do something. Sometimes you just need that intellectual capacity, and and actually just the the capacity of um, a person to help you go do the work that needs to be done. Uh, and so I think it's really can manifest itself in a lot of different ways, but. Industry knowledge um, is going to be very, very important. A specific area, uh, and we certainly see that, um, you know, with us at Azure, we have specialties that go into the production side of the world, the route to market, marketing, finance, 
uh, analytics, uh, so that we can really solve whatever problem that is that is out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think you have to have, to be a, cons- a good consultant, and it, it kind of doesn't matter whether it's about in the wine industry or other industries, you have to really be an expert in your field. Um, and you don't have to be an expert in every aspect of your field. Uh, in fact, maybe it's almost better to have an area of expertise within the field you're in. Um, and so people really view your uh, your knowledge and your guidance as something to be valued. And you know, one of the things I do as a consultant is I do a lot of career coaching through the Napa Valley Wine Academy here. And kind of like you said, solving problems, helping people understand the three-tier system, finding out what their goals are, how can, how can, you know, how can I or we help them achieve that goal and what, you know, what action items can we give them? So being a consultant is great, I think. Um, I think you think so too. But it does take some work. You have to, you have to, you have to get network. You have to know a lot of people. You, you don't sit and wait for the business to come to you necessarily. You have to go out and, and find it. So anyway, so so with all of your insights, just give us a real quick idea of how have you seen the industry change over the last, I don't know, five or 10 years? I mean, to say two or three years is really not fair because of COVID. And, and where do you see it going? And maybe how much does COVID play into both the past and the future? Yeah, the uh, you know, and and uh, I think for the wine category, going back twenty years is important. And just because the wine category, we had such a fabulous growth trajectory from kind of the late nineties, early two thousands, all the way up to like two, 2015, 2016, category really just grew, and consumers were um, really flocking to the wine category. Thanks and to the millennials. And we expanded our base. Yeah. And, yeah. Thank um, you, millennials. And uh, really, really drove that. Well, we, we've now flattened out, and uh, and the the wine category just isn't growing to the level that it was. And um, the competition has gotten uh, much, much stronger. The spirits category has done a great job over the last five years of really building out their offering. Uh, when you look at what's happening with tequila, when you look at what's happening with um, pre-mixed cocktails, uh, the, those categories are just exploding and the, and the consumer is going to them. The beer category um, uh, coming out of the craft craft beer movement, um, and they're not growing, but they but um, but but they certainly um, are doing better than they than they once were. Uh, and then you just have this proliferation of new categories that are coming out, right? The beer uh, with hard seltzer. Look, that that took a lot of consumption occasions. Um, uh, you you know when I now like you have. Uh, hard Mountain Dew uh, out there. Uh, you have the Coca-Cola company, the Pepsi-Cola company. They're getting into the beverage alcohol space. Yeah, Simpl- I, I know the Simply Juice company, Simply Orange, they yeah. call it, and and they're into heart into adding co- making cocktails, pre-made cocktails. Yeah. So yeah, so to me, the 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 landscape of the beverage alcohol landscape has just uh, proliferated to a, a, a significant, a significant amount. And the wine category is competing against more products for more occasions. 
And we're losing um, a number of those occasions to, to other categories. The beer category has done a great job of introducing um, food. The um, beverage, ca- uh, the uh, spirits category done a great job of really kind of putting that signature cocktail list front and center of, um, of, of every on-premise account you go into. Right? I mean, and I can remember, you know, four or five years ago sitting down and I was in an Italian restaurant and the one thing I couldn't find in the six pieces of paper they gave me as I sat down was wines by the glass. I've got well, a signature cocktail Italian. list. I've got, yeah. right. Like, man, come on. I just, I just want a glass of wine here. And right. it was, and it was the one thing that I actually had to ask my server, where is it? Like where, Oh, well that's kind of back here on page eight. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, cocktails are very cool right now. It's it's true. I you know I mean I I enjoy a cocktail once in a while, but I'm really a, yeah. a wine drinker. Yeah, yeah. So I so where do you so like for instance, I was hearing I was listening to a report one of those news magazines on television. They were talking about seltzers, and they said seltzers have finally taken a turn down a downward turn, like like a pretty big number. I don't remember what the numbers were, but pretty quickly. So, you know, feels like that might be fizzling out in favor of maybe not in favor of wine. Maybe some of those people will move back to wine. But, you know, I know some of these hard sodas, like you said. And what's your crystal ball say about what's next? Yeah, the you know, for me and um, the the key to this whole thing, and you just said it right. You have a cocktail occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I, I drink beer. I drink wine. I drink spirits. I uh, right. um, and so do most consumers. So it really is going to come down to how do you win those occasions and what are we going to do as a category to win back occasions? I think the dining occasion is a great place to start. We, we should, you know, the wine category should absolutely win that hands down. Um, Other than I I understand why I lose to margaritas at, um, Mm -hmm. at a Mexican restaurant. Um, I get that. Right. I, um, uh, I'm not, a house. <laughs> that's right. I'm not going to, that's right. I'm not going to replace, uh, I don't think I'm going to win when I go to my, uh, when I go to a giants game, uh, I, I'm going to have a beer and a hot dog, right? I, I'm not going to lose, I'm not going to win that occasion, but how do we get back to winning those occasions that we should as a wine category? Yeah. Um, the Same wine thing. and, and, you know, I, I know a lot of us, we talk about, um, um, the category not growing to the level it was. And that to me is really what we're talking about here um, is that the, the wine category is great. It's going to be fine. Question is, is it going to grow? So and it's not shrinking. It, it's just not growing as fast as it used to. Yeah. And it, well, it's pro- it, 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 it's likely going to shrink a little bit because the below $15 and the below $10 um, category really is not showing any growth. Right. And that is huge volumetrically. Right. That's still where um, uh, a lot of that growth is. And all of those brands, those big brands that are most of them that are um, under ten dollars, they're they're struggling. Um, And the consumer is is moving up. They're buying better. They're they're spending more money um, at higher priced items. But because we're losing some of those occasions, we're not we're not growing volumetrically, and that's where I think we have to um, understand um, what are we going to do. 
And that's where I go back to how do we appeal to a broader demographic? Do we need we need to rethink what that looks like and how do we bring a broader audience into the category that can enjoy that more frequently and um, and um, win more occasions? And for me, it's just I probably have overused the word occasion here, uh, but I think that's what it's about. It's about winning every, you know, and you have to break out every occasion and how do I go win that occasion? Yeah. I no, I, so it's, it's a little bit of a two-sided coin. What products are the consumers? What wine type products are people going to drink in the future? And how do we market what we currently make plus any new products to it, to grow those occasions, those times when people are going to or have an opportunity to drink wine. I do like, however, that at a ballpark, I can get a glass of wine now. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm really not a beer, much of a beer drinker. I mean, if I have two beers a year, that's a lot. So for me, it's great that you actually can get a beer. <laughs> that's right. You know, and I do think, um, and this is also where packaging comes into play. Right? Yeah. And um, and I think, you know, the like even in the ballparks, the, the beer category did a great job of, using alternative like like cans and 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 you know obviously on tap as we look at the data in sip source cans are having a significant impact in the spirits category we're seeing significant activity there we're just not seeing much activity really on cans right i know they're out there we can see them but boy there's just not much consumption occurring in canned goods right now in the wine category in the wine category, but in other categories, it's, it's bigger. It is. It's yeah. in, in the beer category, man, it's gone crazy, right? Yeah. Uh, in in the spirits category, tremendous growth on, uh, on canned goods. Not, not, not so it, it just hasn't really moved the needle in the wine category. Right. It is convenient, but uh, you know, I think people when they're drinking wine feel it's a little more sophisticated maybe than a beer. And so they kind of want a package maybe that reflects that. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I have been known to drink a can of wine. Um, I also think they need to put better wine in cans because I, you know, a lot of companies are putting their low end stuff in a can. And it's like, I don't even want that from a bottle. So I'm not going to drink it from a can. So yeah. maybe that's uh, maybe that'll evolve. We'll see. And I do think just um, how do you, how do you bring the the sophistication of wine into your can and putting, you know, I just don't think it's very appealing to put wine in a 12 ounce can, right? (laughs) Just that stand and the, the slim cans, those are a little more attractive. That's going to say it has to be the skinny can. (laughs) Yeah. But can you do something even a little more refined Mm. and, and could that, could that help? I don't know. That's risk, right? That's, that's an expensive proposition for a supplier to go do. And, yeah, for, um, sure. Uh, for the, sure. The 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 shelf life of the can is probably not going to be the same as the shelf life of a seven fifty milliliter bottle. Yeah, don't lay it, don't lay the can down in your cellar and come back in ten years. <laughs> you exactly. won't have anything to drink. That's right. That's not going to be good. <laughs> no, no. Well, as we get ready to wrap up here, Dale, I, you know, I I hope the audience, I know the audience will find this fascinating. You know, we talk not just about jobs and that type of thing, but it is always fun to talk about where the market is, where it has been, where it's going, um, and how how do we know all this? So I think that's been very useful. So the, most of the people in the audience are, you know, at some point hoping to enter the wine industry. Not everybody, but for those that are, you know, you've been around, like you said, forty years. 
what kind of advice, regardless, you know, maybe specific to what you do, but doesn't have to be, what kind of advice would you give somebody who wants to work, start working in the wine industry? Yeah, you know, um, I think, you know, the first thing that I would say is be open to all opportunities. I think about, you know, I started as a clerk in a liquor store um, and <clears throat> that gave me great exposure. And I was able to meet a whole bunch of people there that that steered me to go towards the distributor and start um, start on that path. So um, and maybe even, you know, if you're on production, if you're not finding what you want in wine, maybe go make beer for a while. Um, you, what are these other categories that you can, that you can get into understand and think about it more broadly to get into, to understand where that is. And, um, either, either it could lead to the wine industry, or you might find that you really enjoy that industry that you've gotten, gotten into and that it's very enjoyable. Um, so, and then even within, within the wine category, think about cross cross-pollination you know try try other things think about the other jobs that are that are out there and get some exposure to that everybody understands winemaking um, uh, sales marketing but there's a whole nother group of people out there supply chain uh, finance uh, legal right there's a whole slew of opportunities right. out IT. there yeah IT, IT. Exactly that 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 are in the wine category, um, and I you know I think um, we talked about getting credentials. I thought you know uh, while working at Constellation, and I know so many other companies do this, they're they're going to give you that that product training, right? They're going to help you if you want to if you want to learn more about the product. They're going to help you learn more about the product, even if you're even if you are in IT, even if you are in finance. Right. Um, which I think is just a great, a great benefit. So don't worry too much about where you go in there. Um, do that. The, you know, the other, the other thing I would say is um, have a realistic view of, of what you're getting into and um, was, was visiting a winery recently and was walking the, walking the winery with the winemaker and the winemaker, well, the small winery. So the winemaker, yep. They're the winemaker, but guess what? They're also the maintenance department. Right. Um, right? So they, they've got this little project going here and they're doing this. And uh, who's going to fix the pump? Well, I'm going to fix the pump. That's my job right. as a winemaker. And I think there's this romantic idea as to like what a winemaker is. And there's right. a reality of what a winemaker does. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that, that's important to find that, that kind of thing out. And sometimes starting off in a small place is better because you're going to get automatically be required to wear a few hats. And I think that's kind of important, important to know. Yeah. And then I, I also think, you know, you and you guys do a great job of credentialing people on the product side of things, but those credentials are out there for other things that you, that you need to go do. Right. I, um, when I started on category management, I had an intensive training on the category management process. Um, when I was at Gala, we started a Lean Six Sigma program. I had intensive training on Lean Six Sigma. Um, so get those credentials, but it's not necessarily just product credentials. It's what is your area of expertise? And you're going to have to have an area of expertise on something um, to get in there. may not be wine, but it's a, related to the wine category and will be used in the wine category. Yeah, I think anytime you're applying for a job that has the word wine in it, having at least a level one WSET or something along, you know, you said you were CSW to have an, at least an entry level course 
it just lets people take you a little more seriously. Um, and you're right, there is the production side of things. And there's also the business side of things. And, you know, we have UC Davis right here in California for the production side, and we have Sonoma State for the business side. So there's a lot of different ways to explore the world of wine. Um, you know, some some require a lot of wine knowledge, and some really don't. And it's just knowing which direction, you know, to go to go in. And, you know, think about I always tell my coaching clients, what are you good at now? You know, before you're at, you know, you're not in the wine industry. What are you good at? Because every wine company needs a lawyer. They need an accountant. You know, they need an IT person. They need all, you know, they need logistics and like you say, supply chain. So think about what you're good at now and see if that can't get your foot in the door. Um, and I do, I do agree with your comment on the level one, right? To to understand what countries, what countries are really in the production world, right? Who, where are we making wine? Right. Um, what are the what are the rules that govern those countries? Which, uh, and I remember taking mine and like, oh, we started with the United States, that was great. We then went to France and like, oh, that was a little more complicated. Right. Then we went to Italy. It was like, okay, wait a minute, what? <laughs> <laughs> Us Italians, you know how we are. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on here? This is yeah. Uh, but but I think that to your point, that gives you that level one. It gives you a real good working knowledge of what yeah. the wine industry is. I agree. I agree. Yep. Well, Dale, what can I say? It's so good to reunite with you after you know a couple of years not seeing you very often, and really appreciate your time and your expertise. I think our audience will really enjoy this episode for a number of reasons. And uh, I'll have you back sometime. Beautiful. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And um, if anybody has any questions, uh, go out to the, the websites of the, the three engagements I have. We yes. have the winemarketcouncil.com, uh, sipsource.com, and azureassociates.com. You can learn all about the companies. And if you have questions, you can probably contact me through those um, websites one way or another. Yep. And you're on LinkedIn. So Dale Stratton. And I'm in LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Absolutely. That's a good source too. Okay. Well, thanks again, Dale. I appreciate it. And thanks to the audience as always for, for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Bye now. Thanks to all of you for joining. And I hope today's show has inspired you to make a career out of your passion for wine. If you'd like to have a one-on-one -on -one career coaching session with me, just use the link in the show notes for more information or to schedule an appointment. This podcast is all about helping you follow your dreams. So feel free to send us your suggestions for guests or topics through our email link that's listed in the show notes. And it means an awful lot when you share us with friends or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode.